Hey, so um, uh, so my name's Rusty, and I live in the Happy Valley, Damascus area. And some of you guys, I'm, I'm seeing some very familiar faces from this summer. Um, so uh, last week, Chuck did just a brilliant job in uh, uh, Mary, and I got to listen to it this morning. And if you haven't listened to it, if you weren't here, I, my understanding is there's a lot of sickness going around. I know my wife works in an elementary school in Oregon City, and they're... Friday was their last day, but they, they were missing about 30, uh, 25 to 30% of their students because of sickness. And so it's not just, it's not just hitting here, it's hitting kind of region-wide. And so if, if you were sick and, and you weren't able to listen to that message, I just want to encourage you to listen to that message. And um, so I was, I was telling my wife, as I was listening to it, I, I, I said, I, I've never met who the speaker was, but I can tell he's a professor of some kind. And I'm bringing Legos today. So I just want to lower expectations from last week, all right, guys? Hey, so it's, it's the week of Christmas, and, uh, and, and I, I love Christmas. I, I love all the different, the different holiday traditions. Uh, my in-laws came in on Friday, and so we had to get all the baking stuff so that my kids can bake great-grandma's cookies and great-grandma's fruitcake and, and this and that. And so a, a tradition for me was whenever I was a little kid, uh, there, were, there were four sisters. My mom was the youngest of four sisters, and there were ten cousins, and we would all go to my grandparents' house on Christmas morning. Now, my grandfather loved Christmas. He was a very type A guy. He, he owned multiple businesses, and if you were just to, to meet him throughout the week, uh, he, he wasn't a very, a very pleasant guy. Um, but Christmas was completely different. He, he, he just became a big kid at Christmas. And what we would do every year before we started opening up presents is we would read the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to back it up one. And I'm going to kind of play off a little bit of what, of what Chuck was doing last week. We're going to back it up to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read specifically Mary's song. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 1 with me, the, the very end of, of Luke chapter 1. And this is historically, traditionally called the Magnificent, because what you're going to see in the first line is, my soul magnifies. We're using the NIV this morning, and so it's going to say, my soul glorifies, but, but traditionally it's been, my soul magnifies, and so the, the, the Latin is Magnificent. So if you're just kind of out and about and you hear someone refer to the Magnificent, they're talking about this right here. And so, and so before the manger was the Magnificent. And so really what I want us to do is to back up a little bit. I, I know December 23rd, the Christmas, uh, the, the Christmas service, and I, those, are my, those are my favorite services. I, I, I love Christmas services more than Easter services. Christmas services are my favorite services. And so I know, I know on the 23rd we're going to be dealing a lot with the manger. So let's back up a little bit. And first talk about the Magnificent, so that we can really get an understanding of the heart of God. Because as we go throughout this week, the kids are out of school, and so who knows what that's going to mean for, for work. And as we're doing any last-minute Christmas shopping, any, any last-minute Christmas shopping? I'm all done. So as we're doing last-minute Christmas shopping in the madness of Target or Costco or the mall or, or, or wherever... Uh, I just want us to just be reminded of the heart of God, which led to the manger. 
Now, a little review, if you've been in church any length of time, then you've heard this, but I just want to kind of get everybody on the same page for those who, who, may, not, uh, fully, who may not fully know. What, what you have is the beginning of the New Testament, 400 years from the beginning of the New Testament to the end of the Old Testament. There's that 400-year gap that there is uh, silence from God. So you have the, the last prophetic uh, word from God where God talks about, I'm going to send Elijah again. And so for 400 years, the nation of Israel, they were waiting for this Elijah to come so that Elijah would be the forerunner of the promised one, the Messiah. And we're told by Jesus that John the Baptist came in the power and spirit of Elijah. And so Luke chapter 1 starts not with Mary, it starts with Elizabeth, as, as Chuck mentioned last week. And the announcement with, with John the Baptist, the, that forerunner coming. And we see in, in, in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist is on the scene, they ask him. They said, hey, are, are, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. Are you Christ? I'm not the Christ. Are you the prophet? I'm not the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah and he says, I'm just the one calling out in the wilderness, make, way the straight for, make straight the way for the Lord. And now Jesus is the one who tells us, like I mentioned earlier, Jesus is the one who tells us that, hey, you guys were looking for Elijah. John is, is the one to come before. And, and even now, what you have in, in uh, Jewish Passovers, they have a cup. It's called the cup of Elijah. And they open the door. And they open the door to invite Elijah in as they're waiting for that Elijah to come so that he can announce the coming of the Messiah. Now, that scholars believe that happened in around the 11th century. So, so Mary would not have been acquainted with that, uh, with that particular uh, tradition of the Passover. But we know that in the, the Jewish world that Mary grew up in, they were always waiting, always talking about the coming king, the coming king, the coming king. In fact, what we see as we step into the New Testament, we see that the geopolitical world, you have Alexander the Great, who then conquered the known world, turned everything uh, language-wise, everything into Greek. And, and, then, uh, and then you eventually have the Romans, who give us the Roman government who give us the Roman roads, and we see that God just kind of fits everything together for the coming Messiah, for the growth of the church. And what you have, the world that Mary grew up in, you have a world that is in constant hostility towards one another. You have Herod the Great, who's a tyrant, and you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the Essenes who gave us the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. You have the zealots who were first century terrorists. You have all this, this world clash, clashing together. And then you have people like Mary who were just caught up in the wash. I think it's, I think it's the book of uh, Proverbs that says, rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so here you have Mary, 13, 14, 15 years old, scholars believe. And she was just run-of-the-mill average. 
She wasn't the Mary that we think of. She was, she was the, that, that teenager crossing the street with the AirPods in that you think, hey, you, you need to look up from your phone. You're going to get hit by a car. That's who Mary was. We wouldn't have noticed her. Nobody would have noticed her. But God, in Nazareth, the sticks, as Chuck mentioned, the sticks. I love that, by the way. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Now, in this culture, the younger is going to greet the older. And so Mary greets Elizabeth. And when she does, the baby, who we know is John the Baptist, the baby jumps for joy. And so that's when Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, Whoa, I'm not blessed. You're blessed. You're the one who's blessed. Because you're the mother of my Lord. And then this kicks off what we know as Mary's song. And so what we're going to do in Mary's song is we're going to look at the heart of God in this. So this is what we read. This is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies or magnifies, magnificent magnifies. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There are are three groups of people that Mary basically addresses that God has done things for. The first one is going to be her. The second one is just going to be people in general. And the third one is going to be the nation of Israel. And within those three groups, there's about 10 different things that God does. And what we see here is the very first thing that Mary says that that God has done for her is he's her Savior. He saved her. She goes on to say this, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Now, that mindful, that that word in the original language, means he he sees. He he doesn't just think about, but he sees. Now, I want us to push pause for a second on this, because if we remember who Mary was, the fact that Mary was an unseen Mary was somebody that no one would have noticed. A teenage girl, in that time, being a woman by very nature made you unseen, but she was unseen in the sticks, in Nazareth. So Mary, no one noticed her, no one saw her, but she says, God is mindful of me. He sees me. What a great point of application for us. You see, we're, we're not Mary, and we're not the nation of Israel, but who we are, we're a child of God, and we're part of the New Covenant Church. And so we have so many people that feel unseen, that feel invisible. And if that's you, go back to the song. Go, go back to what Mary says, that He, my Savior, is mindful. He sees. And then she goes on to say, from now on, generations will call me blessed. That's fulfilled every Christmas. For the mighty one has done great things for me. I love the fact that she calls God the mighty one. He's not a mighty one. She gives him the title, the mighty one. And if you were to uh, think back to Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecy of Jesus, for he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
We can draw that. We can, we can connect those two right there. The mighty one has done great things for me. God's not mighty because he does great things. God does great things because he's mighty. He can't help but to do great things. He can't help it. That's who he is. That's what he does. Oftentimes, if your week is like my week, man, I'm just trying to get through the week. Monday, I got, I got to practice on Monday. I got to practice on Tuesday. I got to take my, my youngest daughter to, to Ninja on, on Monday and Wednesday. My oldest, I got to take her to art on Thursday. We have youth group we go to on Wednesdays and Sundays. And by the time Friday comes around, I'm like, man, where did the week go? And in the midst of all that hurriedness, it's so easy to forget that God is the mighty one. That God still does great things. Because that's who he is. So Mary says, he's mindful of me, and he does great things for me. Now, I, I got a picture of my daughter, if, if, if y'all can see this. This is my youngest, um, if we're going to be able to get that up there. Uh, unfortunately, it's not as big as, as, uh, as we would have liked. Uh, as Bryn's pulling that up for us, I'll kind of explain what was going on. So, so this summer, uh, we went to Cody, Wyoming. There we go. There we go. We went to Cody, Wyoming. And if you have kids that are interested in dinosaurs and you want to take a really big road trip, uh, outside of Cody, Wyoming, there's a dinosaur museum in Thermopolis, Wyoming. And so my youngest, she's at that age where she loves dinosaurs. And so we go, we go to this dinosaur museum and she is absolutely in heaven. And, and here's one thing that I notice about little kids. You go to any like bookstore and you go into the kids section you're going to see dinosaurs. Kids just love dinosaurs. One of the presents that she asked for for this year, uh, she asked for Lego sets, dinosaur Lego. I, I'm, I'm serious. Like you got you had a PhD. Now you got a guy that plays with Legos. Okay, so, um, so my my youngest loves dinosaurs. So she asked for Lego dinosaurs. Now, one of these was her older brother's because when he was a kid. He loved dinosaurs. So if I were to take these and I were just kind of set them out by the coffee there and we were to let the kids out of the kids' ministry area come in and they were to see these, what would they do? I mean, they would pick them up. They'd start playing with them. They'd probably, like, one would start fighting the other ones. You know why? Because kids love dinosaurs. It's like that's who they are. I don't know why God created dinosaurs. Like, I don't know why God created mosquitoes, but I don't know why God created dinosaurs. But I got to think that in his sense of humor, I got to think that he loves the fact that all these little kids love dinosaurs. That God just, that might have been why he created dinosaurs, was that there was going to be kids one day that would just get a kick out of the fact that there were lizards that big. And when I think of dinosaurs and when I think of kids, I think kids can't help but to love it because that's just kind of who they are. God can't help but to do great things. That's just who he is. It's not that God does great things as, as an exception to the rule. No, God just does great things because he's the mighty one. He's the mighty one. So when we pray, when we pray big prayers, pray mighty prayers. Pray great prayers. Because God wants to be God, and God wants to do God-sized things. 
So Mary goes on to tell us, she transitions from God doing great things to her to God doing great things just for people. And that's what she says. His mercy extends to those who fear him. Now, again, in, that, in, the, in the original language, that word mercy, it, it, it comes with it this idea of mercy with a desire to act. So it's like God's mercy, God's heart is, is pushing. He has mercy, but it's pushing him to act. It's not like you see uh, a, a dead bird on the side of the road. I'm just throwing something out here. I'm, I, we, we, have a, we have dead birds every now and then on our porch. We, it's not like you just see a dead bird on the side of the road and you think, oh, that's too bad. And sometimes I think that's how we view God. Like he'll look at our situation or he'll look at other situation. And God will have mercy and saying, oh, that's, that's too bad. But what Mary is saying here and what, what Luke captures here is that God's mercy pushes him towards action. It pushes him towards action. So she says, God's mercy extend to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Semicolon. These are the mighty deeds. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. So those who inwardly think things contrary to him he physically deals with he has brought down rulers from their thrones but a lifted up the humble those who are high he brought low those who are low he brings high he has filled the hungry with good things he has sent the rich away empty those who have nothing he gives those who have everything he sends away empty psalms says it like this psalm psalm 29 says that he sits enthroned over the flood psalm 37 says that he looks at the wicked and laughs i love that one god looks at the wicked and laughs he has filled the hungry and sent the rich away empty i i think about nebuchadnezzar with this so here you have someone who was the king of kings during his day. And Nebuchadnezzar is warned, if you don't humble yourself, God's going to humble you. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't humble himself, and we're told that he begins to, to walk the earth as a beast before coming to his senses and realizing that everything I have is from God. 20 years ago, I got to go to the Ukraine. And I, and I got to, to talk to, to pastors and churches uh, or church members who, who lived during the Soviet Union time. And one, one of the pastors I talked to, and we, and we have a high Russian-speaking and, and Ukrainian population around here, and so a lot of those uh, have stories very similar to this. But the pastor I was talking to, his father was a pastor. And his father um, was, was always in and out of jail because of his faith. And this particular pastor, as he was a boy, he said every year, the first day of school, the teacher would say, stand up, and he would stand up, and the teacher would say, you can do, talk to the rest of the class, you can do whatever you want to him, because he's a Christian, and you won't get in trouble. And so that's how he grew up. And so, and so as he and I are talking about the Ukraine now versus what it was under the Iron Curtain, he says, Rusty, you got to understand. He said, God did a miracle. He said, the Soviet Union fell without a single bullet being fired. 
And, and we were standing in front of his church that was physically built. It took seven years for the church to physically build it. And we're standing in front of that. And he says, now, he said, man, we have freedom to build a church. He said, God is so great. And so when I read what Mary says about, about this all those years ago, God has not changed. He still does mighty things. He still takes those who are high and brings them low, those who are low and brings them high. God is still in the business of being God. But she goes on to transition from people to Israel, and this is what she says. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Now remember, this isn't just a, an isolated monologue happening here. This is Mary, who's in the presence of Elizabeth. Mary, who's, who's pregnant with the Messiah, who's in the presence of the one who's pregnant with the forerunner, talking about fulfilled prophecies. Now scholars believe that they point out to over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfills. And so when Mary, who's pregnant with the one who's going to fulfill these prophecies, is standing in the presence of Elizabeth, who's pregnant with the one who's going to fulfill the prophecies, when she says this, man, it's impactful. And so she says, He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. She's hearkening back to hundreds of years of prophecies, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, and then we pick up with Abraham, Genesis 12, and Genesis 15. And I want to sit for a second on Genesis 15, because that's when God tells Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you that you're going to have a son. And here's what he does in Genesis chapter 15. And I don't want us to, to gloss over this, so I want to kind of highlight this because we, we miss the, the, the structure of the ceremony that, that God institutes with, with Abraham. Here's what God does in Genesis 15. God tells Abraham, hey, you and I, we're going to make a covenant. So Abraham, I want you to get five animals and I want you to cut them in half and put them in rows. Now, for us, in our mind... We think, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. But in the mind of Abraham, during this time, that was called a blood oath. And it was actually a common thing. And so what would happen was, you would get two individuals going into a covenant together. And they would take any number of animals. In 15, we're told that God said five. But you would take any, any number of animals, you would split them in half, and then you would let the blood flow in the middle, and then you and that other person would walk through the blood, repeating the covenant together, repeating that oath together. And it was a reminder to you and to that other person that if you don't fulfill your side of the covenant, your blood's on your head. If I don't fulfill my side of the covenant, my blood is on my head. And we're walking through this blood as... You get the visual, you get the, the tactile, you get the smell. You have a really an understanding of this oath that you're making with one another. So in Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, we're going to do a blood oath. Get five animals, cut them in half. And so Abraham does that. And then we're told something happens to Abraham. 
he gets caught up in like this deep sleep. I'm going to use kind of the word trance because he was he was aware but he was kind of asleep let's let's remember what it was like to have to have a baby in the house and so you have a baby in the house so you only got 30 minutes of sleep that morning or that night because the baby's colicky colicky so you're kind of aware but you're not moving right that that's kind of how i picture abraham so he's he's in a deep sleep but he's aware of what's going on And so Abraham is in this deep sleep off to the side and he sees the presence of God going down the middle of the animals. The blood covenant by himself. What God was showing Abraham was this covenant is my covenant with you. It's not your covenant with me. I'm going to fulfill this covenant. I'm going to fulfill it. And so Mary, she hearkens back to that. And she says, the covenant that God made with Abraham is coming to pass now. Before there was the manger, there was the heart of God. And the heart of God was moved not by us, but by himself. And the heart of God is what brought about the manger. And so Mary is saying, Right here, Mary is saying, covenant is being fulfilled right now. As she's standing, again, as she's standing with Elizabeth. And ultimately, that blood covenant would be fulfilled by Jesus' blood on the cross. And so God would bring blood as a fulfillment of the covenant by the one who was in the womb of Mary. And so as we go about this week, I just want you guys to to be thinking about the heart of God. This week, as as you're doing sugar cookies, as you're doing pies, as you're you're getting all the food ready, as you're you're doing all the busyness, and and oh, what time does does the the service start on the 23rd? Are we at the school? Are we at the the New Life Church? As you're going through all that process, I just want you to remember that before the manger was the Magnificent. And it points us to the heart of God. It points us to the heart of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your heart. Lord, we thank you for the fulfilled covenant that we are now a people living under the new covenant. Lord, this week, may we be mindful and may we worship you. May we worship you may we be just reminded of your heart, how it brought about the manger. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.